All right, you may be seated. It's wonderful to be worshiping here with you today. For those of you that were on school vacation last week, those that are in Massachusetts, it's great to have you here today with us. Actually, a quick reminder, kindergarten through fourth grade, if you wanted to go to Children's Church and have not gone, you're welcome to go. You just go downstairs. Uh, and that opportunity is still there. So uh, if you want to do that, please go ahead and do that. I want to start off this morning by saying thank you. Uh, this is something I try to make a habit of. I want to say thank you to Mike Sylvester. Mike is actually not the person that I'm supposed to be saying thank you to. But what happened was this morning, Mike came up to me and said, you should say thank you to Henry Woolley. Henry Woolley is, I don't know how old Henry is, 12? Are you 12, Henry? 12? He's 12. Uh, and he's been uh, serving in a variety of ways, especially last week. Henry helped play the bass, then he went up and did the video stream, and then he helped in the projection booth. He was all over the place. So I want to say thank you to Henry for helping, but I also want to th say thank you. I don't know, clap. Look, you got clapping, yeah. Uh, he's up there super embarrassed and is now never going to volunteer to do anything ever again. Um, but also want to say thank you to Mike for acknowledging that, for realizing that this 12 year old is helping do all of these things. We definitely want to have a culture of appreciation here at Byfield for one another. Uh, going ahead and diving in to our sermon. I was, I was thinking about this sermon a few months back and something happened at the same time. I uh, was thinking about the sermon. It was something that I'd been predicting was going to happen for a long time. You see, my family has this dog. The dog is named Pogo. I talk about Pogo intermittently. And every day, or most days, my three older kids are responsible for taking Pogo on about a quarter mile lap around the neighborhood, right? So Pogo gets his walks, and then my wife Anne actually takes Pogo on longer walks as well, one to four miles in length. So Pogo gets to go on a lot of walks, which he loves. But taking Pogo on walks is not always a pleasant experience. He feels the need to stop at every, every mailbox, every bush, and you know, sniff around and do his thing and mark his territory and all that. That's annoying, but that's fine. Um, what is really terrible, though, is that anytime Pogo sees another dog, and anytime Pogo sees another dog, he starts out with like a low growl. And if the other dog responds at all, he just loses it. He starts pulling and barking and just attacking, wanting to attack this other dog to defend his territory. And for a long time, I have been having this conversation with Pogo. I've been saying to Pogo, Pogo, Pogo weighs about 35 pounds. One day, Pogo, you are going to meet another dog. And that other dog is going to beat you up. And you are going to deserve it. And sure enough, that's what happened a few months ago when I was thinking about this sermon. My wife, Anne, was taking Pogo on a walk. And one of our neighbors has this large German Shepherd mix that she has basically no control over. And Pogo starts to growl and bark at the other dog. And the other dog says, all right, let's go. And next thing you know, Pogo is pinned to the ground crying as this dog attacks him. Anne was able to get the dog off Pogo with a few well-placed kicks. Hopefully, thankfully, she was okay. 
in the process, and Pogo was fine. For the next few days, he was very sad. He moped around the house, but he was, he was okay. So Pogo's fine. That's the conclusion. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so what are, we supposed to, what are we supposed to learn from this? Well, what we're supposed to learn from this is you better be careful who you pick fights with. And in today's story, we will see someone pick a fight that they cannot win. They pick a fight to defend they, their territory. They have a loud bark and a bit of a bite, and they think they can easily win, but they overestimate themselves and underestimate their opponents. So with that, please turn with me to Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Those verses will be projected on the screen behind me. You can also turn to page 44 in your pew Bible. We'll begin reading in Exodus chapter 5. Verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest, we fall, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, but the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Pharaoh is a bit like Pogo. He thinks he's a tough guy. He's not scared to pick a fight, so that is exactly what he does in these verses. While he may not realize it, Pharaoh is picking a fight with the Lord God. He provokes God in three ways. Pharaoh dismisses God. Pharaoh disrespects God's servants. And three, Pharaoh declares war on God's people. We're going to look at each of these provocations in the order they occur in the text. First, Pharaoh dismisses God. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. 
The request made to Pharaoh by Moses and Aaron is not unreasonable. Pharaoh would have believed that there were many gods in the world. He wouldn't have had a problem with the people of Israel having a deity they worship. Every nation had their own preferred gods. There wasn't an expectation at the time you would worship all the many gods that were thought to exist in the world. There was a belief that you were to worship your own nation's god. In this way, the gods of the pagan world were a bit like spouses. You better be faithful to your own spouse. You also better be faithful to your own God. If a nation wasn't faithful to their God, everyone expected that God to get angry and seek retribution in the same way a husband or a wife who has been cheated on will want revenge. Moses and Aaron's request to go worship the God of Israel in the wilderness angers Pharaoh. It angers him because they command Pharaoh on behalf of the Lord God of Israel. Pharaoh might have been willing to acknowledge that the Israelites had their own God they needed to worship. He was completely unwilling to take any commands from that God. Pharaoh considers himself to be a God. He probably thinks of himself as equal to, if not a superior of, the God of Egypt. I'm sorry, the God of Israel. Pharaoh has evidence that he is more powerful. He is the one holding the Israelites in slavery. You see, in the ancient world, when, when there was a battle or a conflict between two nations, it was thought that as that physical battle was taking place, there was also a battle in the heavens going on between the gods of those two nations. And the nation that won the physical battle on the earth, that was an indication that the spiritual battle that was being fought was also being won by that, by that heavenly God. The nation that won the battle had the better, more powerful God. All the evidence Pharaoh sees indicates the God of Israel is inferior. If the request had been made in such a way that Pharaoh's power was acknowledged, there's a much greater chance he might have agreed to it. This was probably not the first time a group within Egypt had sought permission to worship their God in some special way. There were other minorities and oppressed groups within Egypt. The intractable problem that will play out in the, in the succeeding chapters is centered on this dynamic. The Lord God of Israel will not bend the need to Pharaoh. Pharaoh refuses to acknowledge that God is more powerful than him. In response to God's command, Pharaoh says to Moses and Aaron, who is the Lord 
that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh's dismissiveness drips off of every word. He says he doesn't know the Lord. Well, that is not ideal. That is not the main problem. God doesn't expect everyone to fully automatically recognize who he is. He is patient with human ignorance. We saw that patience in God's interactions with Moses at the burning bush. The problem with Pharaoh isn't that he doesn't know who the Lord is. The problem is he doesn't care to know. There's nothing worse than dismissiveness. Dismissiveness is the ultimate insult. It indicates the one being dismissed isn't even worth responding to. You see this in sports. There are lots of fans and teams in the NFL that hated the Patriots throughout the time Tom Brady was the Patriots quarterback. But nobody dismissed the Patriots. Nobody treated them as irrelevant. What infuriated fans of teams like the Jets, Bills, and Dolphins is that Patriots fans could dismiss their teams without much of a second thought. Pharaoh's belief that God can be dismissed, it's a popular one in the world today. The paganism of our time teaches that every person is their own God. Each human can look inside themselves for their own truth. What matters is the power a person has to accomplish their desires. Those that go out into our world saying, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, will be responded to the same way Moses was. Who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice. I do not know the Lord. God will respond to unintentional ignorance with mercy. Willful ignorance, dismissiveness, is another story. God will not tolerate dismissiveness. After dismissing God, Pharaoh disrespects God's servants. He says, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. Reading this statement made me think about the times I have been most disrespected in my life. And one particular event came to mind when I used to work as an ICU nurse. I was taking care of this patient one time. He was a pretty young guy he's in his early 40s. And his mom was around a lot, and she wanted him up out of bed constantly. But as his nurse, I didn't feel like he was medically stable enough to be up out of bed as much as she was demanding. That was my professional judgment. 
When I told her this, she screamed in my face. She told me my job was not to think, but to do what I was told. For her, I wasn't a professional or even a human being. I was a tool to be used to accomplish a task. For Pharaoh, that is all the Israelites are. Tools that can be used to accomplish an unpleasant task. They are burden bearers and brick makers. He has nothing but disdain for them. Disrespecting God's messengers is a significant error. There are many examples of this error being made by people with power. This disrespect might be communicated verbally or it might be communicated through actions. Either way, God doesn't like it. Christians need to be as aware of this as anyone else. We need to listen to the messengers God sends to speak truth into our lives. Now, you may hear that and say, well, that's convenient for you as you stand up there preaching. You say, we need to listen to you. Well, maybe. But God also speaks into our lives through our friends, through our spouses, through our children. If we disrespect someone that God is using to speak truth into our lives, we are disrespecting God. In Pharaoh's very slight defense, the disrespect Pharaoh showed Moses and Aaron is an understandable response in light of how they handled the business God had given them to do. After Pharaoh's initial dismissal of God, Moses and Aaron, they, they plead with Pharaoh. They say, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Their initial, thus says the Lord, is turned into begging. God did not send Moses and Aaron to plead on his behalf. God doesn't beg powerful people to give him a break. Neither should his servants. Moses and Aaron have forgotten they are not just themselves. They are representing God. This is a confusion Christians sometimes exhibit as well. Humbleness should not be confused with being a pushover. And meekness shouldn't be confused by Christians with weakness. In Matthew 5, 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In his commentary on the verse, R.C. Sproul explains, Meekness is a quality frequently manifested by exceedingly strong people who do not use their strength or power to crush others or lay them low. Christians should exhibit spines of steel. If we are standing with God, we have no reason to fear or back down. 
This confidence is what allows us to act without false bravado or quivering uncertainty. Moses and Aaron's weakness does not cause the disrespect Pharaoh directs at them. Disrespecting God's messengers adds to the egregiousness of Pharaoh's acts. In the ancient world, showing disrespect to a king's messenger was a direct insult to the king. Pharaoh is insulting God further with the disrespect he shows Aaron and Moses. After dismissing God, Pharaoh has now disrespected him further. Pharaoh's incitement of God's anger is building. He's not done yet. After Moses and Aaron leave his presence, Pharaoh declares war on the Israelites. He says to his minions, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. The people of Israel are already slaves. With this command, Pharaoh has exponentially increased their workload. Straw is not an optional ingredient for the way bricks were made. It allowed bricks to cure faster, be lighter, and be more structurally sound. For the Hebrews to fulfill their quota, they will have to work harder than they ever had. When they fail to deliver, they will be beaten. Their taskmasters taunt them by asking, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Pharaoh is clear about what he wants to accomplish with his command. He wants to break the spirit of the Hebrews down so completely that they will look to him not God as their ultimate authority. The war he declares is for the purposes of subjugation. This is the same reason abusers always abuse. They want to be in control. Pharaoh is no different from any other bully. In verse 21 of chapter 5, which we did not read today, we see that Pharaoh's strategy appears to have its desired effect. The people of Israel turn on Moses and Aaron. They fear Pharaoh more than they fear the Lord. The problem with Pharaoh declaring war on God's people is that he fails to account for God. God will put up with a lot from people. He does not wish for anyone to perish. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. 
Pharaoh had dismissed God and disrespected his servants. Both of these actions were problematic, but maybe God would have held back his hand of judgment, even if it was only for a time. We don't know because of Pharaoh's command. By declaring war on God's people, Pharaoh was demanding a response from God. God does not sit idly by when people act like tyrants to other people. He brings about judgment. This judgment takes many forms. Whatever form it takes, it will come. I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon that I actually actually worked on this sermon several months ago. And... um, this week I was, was revisiting it and the events that have been happening in our world this week were playing out. And I don't know about you, but I was bothered. I was upset to hear about a nation invading another nation for purposes that are not particularly clear to me besides a desire for control, a desire for power. And, and there's a lot of international political things going on, and that's not really the focus of me being up here. I can say this confidently. God wins. God does not put up with the injustices that people perpetuate upon another. And that doesn't always happen on my timeline. It doesn't happen as quickly as I would like for it to happen, but it will happen. That judgment will come. God will not tolerate those who try to act as if they are the Lord. Pharaoh has declared war on God. He's declared war on God by declaring war on innocent people. It is a war that he has no chance of winning. God will not be defeated. He will not fight to a draw. Every once in a while a video will pop up online of, of some sort of like unfair fight. And I, I saw one of these videos, a guy was planning on robbing a convenience store and he he comes in with a gun. But what he wasn't expecting was one of the customers there was a Marine. So the guy comes in with a gun and as soon as he comes in with a gun, the Marine just lays him out. The guy never had a chance. It was not a fair fight. The distance between the Marine that I saw in that video and the criminal is insignificant compared to God and any person in this world. This is a hard lesson Pharaoh and any who are like him are going to learn. Pharaoh had no chance at defeating God. He just didn't realize it yet. Our world 
is filled with many wannabe pharaohs. Sometimes they're presidents of country. Sometimes they're our bosses. These are people that intentionally or unintentionally pick fights with God through dismissing him, disrespecting his servants, or declaring war on innocent people. God will deal with each of these challengers in turn. He is undefeated and undefeatable. God doesn't enjoy dealing with those who want to fight him, but he will when pressed. God isn't out looking for fight. But he's not going to back down when others induce them. God will win. While we celebrate God's victories as Christians, we also need to be sure we are not provoking God ourselves. In the years after God dealt with Pharaoh's provocation, Israel provoked God through its dismissiveness, disrespecting those God sent to speak for him and declaring war on the innocent. God dealt with them as well. We are not immune to provoking God as individuals or as a church. We must make sure we are not provoking fights we cannot win. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you that you are powerful and that you are good and that your desire is to extend mercy. I also thank you that you are just. As we see the tragedy unfolding in Ukraine this week, it is it's hard not to think that this is clear injustice, clear tyranny, Lord. And I pray that if, that if it is as it appears to be, that you would, you would fight, Lord. That you would bring about judgment, We wait for this world to be a more just place, and we know that that can only happen through you, through your actions, Lord. We pray for all of those in situations, whether it be in Ukraine or people that are in difficult situations here, that they may be in difficult home situations or difficult work situations, Lord, with more minor forms of tyranny, Lord. We pray that you would be with the people in those circumstances, Lord, and that your justice would prevail. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We will now